In Matthew 5, Jesus taught that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Today on Awaken to Grace, we're going to study this text. We're going to see exactly what Jesus meant when he teaches us how to pursue not satisfaction, because that's what most of us do in life, but rather pursue the things that bring satisfaction. And what we're going to see is how what brings the greatest satisfaction into our life are the things of God, things of righteousness. This is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all things will be added to your life. Many of us fall into the trap of pursuing happiness, pursuing the things that we think will ultimately satisfy us. And what Jesus does in this text is he helps us untwist this distortion that sin brings. And instead of pursuing the things we hope will fulfill us, well, then we begin to pursue the things that God says will certainly fulfill us, things like righteousness. I hope you enjoy today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. I want to talk to us for a moment about the responsibility that we bear to lead in this unpredictable time. The responsibility that is ours for those of us who we say that we follow Jesus Christ. We are not Christian in name only. We are not nominal Christians. In other words, we do not simply bear the name of Christ yet deny Him with our very lifestyle. No, we're different. We bear the name of Christ and we pick up our cross daily to follow Him. We are serious about our faith. We're serious about following Jesus, even in the sinful culture that we live right now today. We are immensely serious about following Jesus Christ. I hope you're in that camp. I want to talk to you today about what our responsibilities are as Christ followers on behalf of a country that is in grave danger. On behalf of a country that is in great trouble. I enjoy reading history books and I just finished a book this week on the Civil War and much of the Native American Tensions that were happening in the 1860s to the early 1900s. And as awful as a time period as that was, uh, even then, even then, reading history, I don't know if there was as much chaos and confusion as you have now. At least in that time period, you had a very strong church of Jesus Christ. Much stronger, I fear, than what is today. And you and I, as Christ followers, as the church, the capital C church, you and I have a great responsibility. And the question is, will we lead? The question is, will we understand and accept what Peter said, that if judgment is going to begin, let it begin at the house of God. 
Many people are asking right now, is America facing God's judgment? I believe in many respects we are. Many Christians get confused when it comes to the judgment of God because, you know, you read the Old Testament and you see great calamities and great catastrophes and then compare it to our day and it would look as though God is not actively judging. But see, you must understand we live in a different day. We live in an age of grace. We live in days that are called grace You can't compare the old covenant to what is now the new covenant. You have to understand that in the Old Testament, the wrath of God was called the active wrath of God. Today we call it the passive wrath of God because of the age of grace. But that doesn't mean that wrath is not on our country. That doesn't mean that God's judgment is not here. The way that I view God's judgment on our country is perhaps there are many times that God could intervene. That God could step in. That God could prevent. But God in His judgment doesn't. I think in many respects, this society, this culture for many decades now has snubbed its nose at an almighty God. We have kicked God out of every facet of society, have we not? And now we're shocked when God doesn't intervene. Could it be that much of what we're seeing in today's landscape is the passive wrath of God to where God could intervene, but God doesn't? My children are nine, seven, three, and two. And there are times that they can't do something, they're frustrated, and they'll bring something to me. They'll want me to open something or fix something or whatever, and I go to reach for it, and then they won't give it to me. Well, what's my response as a father? My response is, okay, you figure it out. (laughs) Could that be much of God's response to our country right now? You don't want me involved? You don't call on my name? You don't repent of sin? Okay. Then you do it. That's called the passive wrath of God. And I believe our country is experiencing. So Christians have to be aware, as Scripture says, we have to awaken ourselves. And we have to understand what is our role, what is our responsibility. And I believe Christ shares that with us in Matthew chapter 5. We live in a very different day right now. We live in a very dangerous time right now. And Christians, hear my heart today. We must be crystal clear in what God expects of us. And if we're going to have a voice in all of this noisy chaos... If we're going to lead at all in all of this confusion, in all of this chaos, then we better be crystal clear in what God expects out of us individually as well as corporately. Amen? Matthew chapter 5. We're talking in this series primarily about righteousness. We introduced the idea of righteousness last week, and this week I want to continue on with the theme of righteousness. 
And where we're going to be, we're going to study a few of the Beatitudes that Christ laid out. But our primary text is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied or they will be filled. Now, where I'm going today, but we're going we're gonna to work our way there... I don't feel like we can fully appreciate verse 6 until we understand the previous verses. But let me just tell you where we're going to end up. Americans, because we have a document that's unlike anything in all of the history of humanity, our Constitution, which is tremendous and wonderful, But I'm going to show you to where when it comes to biblically, individually, spiritually, it's not the right attitude to have. And I'm going to show you how there's a great distortion. Our Constitution tells us that every single man and woman has the right to pursue happiness. Now thank God for that. That matters in a democracy. That matters... In a republic. That matters in a country. And thank God that we live in the country that we do live. Although I have tremendous fears going forward. About what civil liberties. And what religious liberties. Could very well be on the line. And I'll just tell you. I am already settling within my heart. Where I will stand. When civil and religious liberties are challenged. Right? You can think about that for yourself. But I'm already thinking and praying concerning it. Thank God that we live in a country that gives us the right to pursue happiness. And while that's great for a democracy, it's not so great spiritually. And I'm going to show you why today. This is where I'm going to end up. In verse number 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now those are natural cravings. Those are God-given appetites. Those are cravings. But it says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be Satisfied. The problem that we have as particularly as as Americans is what we pursue, what we go after, what our ambition is, is the satisfaction. And what Jesus is going to teach us in these scriptures is sin distorts that view. It twists that view. God has not designed you to pursue satisfaction or to pursue happiness. God has designed you to pursue God and the things of God, the righteousness of God, because that ultimately brings satisfaction. You understand? So because we are wired to think, well, it's my right to be happy, we pursue happiness. And God goes, no, no. You are to pursue righteousness and holiness, and that will make you happy. That will make you fulfilled. It's not that God's against happiness. Now let me be really clear, okay? When Jesus begins in verse number 3 and says, Blessed are those, 
The word blessed there is translated happy. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. He does want you to be happy. It's that God, as a wise father, knows that happiness is not ultimately joy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does a good father give their children every single thing they want? A couple of weeks ago, Emmy, our seven-year-old, she wanted to do something. I can't remember. Maybe it was go to a park. I don't remember. She wanted to do something, and whatever it was, it wasn't the right timing. And Sadie and I both said no. Well, you know what her argument was? Well, you, mom, dad, you just don't want me happy. No, child. No, that's not my goal in life, is to make you happy. I'm so sorry, but that's not what I'm aiming for. I want her to be mature. I want her to grow up as a mature adult, right? Well, so it is with God. It's not that God wants to take happiness from you. But listen, God is not only concerned about your little happiness. I counseled a lady who was leaving her husband for another man. And when I confronted the sin, and when I said, you are wrong and this is sinful, do you know what her rebuttal was? Yeah, but... Pastor Chad, at the end of the day, God wants me wrong as wrong can be. God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. You know why? Because God is a very wise father. God does want you happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That means happy. Yes, God does want you happy, but that's not his chief aim. And let me tell you why. Because do you know how cheap happiness is? Do you know how cheap a thing it is? Does the Bible teach when it comes to the nine precious fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? When it comes to those nine fruits of the Spirit, is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit happiness? Absolutely not. Yet it's what we chase. It's what we pursue. It's what we aim for. It's what we gripe about. It's what we complain about. Come on now, am I preaching right? So, God, listen, happiness is cheap. Happiness is not real value. But as Americans, we see it that way. But not biblically. Happiness is not of great value. Do you know why? Because God, in His infinite fatherly wisdom, God knows this. Happiness does not bring joy. Do you know what one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is? Joy. And joy is what God wants you to have. Do you know what happiness really is? Happiness really, at the end of the day, it has to do with happenings in your life. It depends on how things are happening, on whether or not you're happy. And so if things are going real good, you're real up. And if things are not going well, you're way down. And then if things are working out, you're way up. And if things aren't, you're way down. And you're just up and down and up and down. God doesn't want you that way. 
He doesn't want your emotions always up and down. God wants you a solid, stable Christian. He wants you consistent. He wants you to rise above. And listen, when you got joy in your life, happiness is not an issue. Because the joy transcends above all of the happenings of your life. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Joy trumps it. It goes above all of the happenings. As most of you know, I'm completely blind. And there are some days that, you know, I'll go through my day and I'll be as productive as ever before. And I get this done and this done and have this meeting and meet with this person and do this and do that. And then at the end of the day, I'll have to remind myself that I couldn't see a thing all day. I'm just in rhythm. And then there are other days I wake up with it smacking me in the face. And it's all I can think about. Now, when I'm here or I'm at home, I'm completely in my element. I'm as, you know, uh, I'm as comfortable and walking around and getting things. I mean, I'm just, I'm perfect. But you get me outside of here, I'm totally out of my element. I have to have help. Now, some of you know, we, we went to the beach a few weeks ago. And I was with my family. And I want my kids to have great memories. And, but, oh, my goodness, friends. My first day and a half there, I was miserable. Miserable. Hated it. Counting down the days till we come home. Un- unfamiliar. It, it, literally, it felt like being blind from day one. That's what it felt like. It felt like day one. And I was miserable. And a day and a half into it, I literally had to kick myself and say, Chad, this isn't acceptable. You got to choose joy. This isn't fair for your kids. You may be struggling. It may be hard. But you got to change. <laughs> As a matter of fact, totally off topic. I was reading some book this week, some audio book. And it talked about a giraffe being born. Have you ever seen a giraffe born? It said, to their astonishment, the mama stood completely up. And the giraffe just fell like 10 feet onto its back. And you know what the mama did? Kicked the baby to get it going. And then the baby giraffe's up on all fours, but it's a little wobbly. And you know what mama did? She kicked it again to get it going. Listen, sometimes we got to kick ourselves. Come on now, right? We got to kick ourselves spiritually and say, this isn't acceptable. This isn't right. Sometimes you have to choose joy. But God, in his infinite wisdom, do you know why he wants you to have joy over happiness? Because what does the Bible say? It's the joy of the Lord that is my what? Strength. Happiness does not bring you strength. Only joy does. Joy brings strength, not happiness. If all you pursue is happiness, well, you're just going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. And your emotions are going to be all over the map. No. Choose joy. And when you choose joy, when you say, Holy Spirit, produce the fruit of joy in my life. Let me tell you, you'll rise above. You'll rise above. 
And then your emotions and your thinking and your feelings, it'll all settle down and stable out. So it's not that God is opposed to happiness. But you do need to understand, God's not going to let you stay a spiritual child and pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue something more mature. Something more beneficial. Something more lasting. Joy. Can we say amen to that? When it comes to maturity, these beatitudes are going to lead us toward maturity. And listen, it's okay to be a child spiritually. I mean, we all have to grow up. What's wrong is to stay a child spiritually, right? We have to grow. And for the record, when Sadie, when I said that to Sadie this morning about that baby, I wanted on the record. I was exaggerating as exaggeration could be, okay? That's just for the, if you came in late, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's just for the record. Our quota's met. Our quiver's full. We're done. Amen. Anyway. Piper, my oldest, she's nine. She came up to me between the two services this morning. <laughs> you, you want a definition of socialism? I'll give it to you. Piper, my nine-year-old, came up to me this morning and said, Dad, I found the bed I want. Oh, you did? I can't wait to hear this. $460. And then, you know what she said? You know what she said? She said, I'll pay for it. Well, I'm thinking, you're nine years old. How are you going to pay for it? But then, you know what she said? She said, I'll pay for it if you give me the money. (laughs) I won't tell you what ran through my mind because it would offend many people, but that's okay politically. But anyways... Um. It's okay for my children to be children. It's okay for them to enjoy their childhood. But my goal as a father is for them to mature and to grow into adulthood. You may be very young in your faith. Or you may be someone who's been saved for decades, but you've never really grown spiritually. It's okay to be young spiritually. But listen... God expects you to grow. God expects you to mature. And that's why you cannot get trapped into this idea, God wants me happy. No. God wants much more for you. Much more valuable things God desires for you than the cheapness of happiness. Because that will fade and that will falter. So look with me. Verse number 1. Matthew chapter 5. The Bible says that Jesus seeing the crowds. And thank God Jesus was never impressed with crowds. Public opinion never swayed the truth of God. Amen. 
And Jesus just went right. Matter of fact, many times in the Gospels, when a crowd would gather to hear him teach, it was after the crowd dispersed that Jesus would do his true teaching. Crowds never impressed Jesus. And that's why I'm so thankful. It doesn't matter how many is in our building today. It doesn't matter the number of people watching online. It doesn't matter how many was at the 9 a.m. or how many will be here tonight for student services. There may be a great crowd, but let me tell you, Jesus is interested in you. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.